Good morning. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12 as we uh, continue in Matthew's gospel this morning. Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37 is where we will be today. Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37. There are uh, many things that make human beings different than animals. But one of the most incredible differences is our ability to use words. I'm sure animals communicate, right? You can see these cool videos on Discovery Channel about prairie dogs using, you know, body language and popping out of their tunnels here and squeaking this way or that way to send a message, predators nearby. But animals do not use words like humans do. Human beings write incredibly beautiful poetry, deliver powerful speeches, and express things that are uh, beautiful and profound. Words can bring us to tears of joy or tears of embarrassment. Words can make your day or they can destroy it. Words can be used for uh, coarse and vulgar humor or words can paint the most incredible and profound pictures of beauty in our mind's eye. And no doubt you have experienced the power of words for better or for worse. And really, the, the ability to use words, speech, is a blessing from God. It is a gift, but it is a gift that comes with great responsibility. It's no accident that the Bible addresses our words in many, many places. And this morning, as we continue in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus will do so as well. Jesus will address our words, but as he usually does, Jesus will address not just the words that we speak, but the heart that is behind them. Jesus will teach us that our words reveal what is in our heart and that we are accountable for our words and our hearts on the day of judgment. How do you use your words? and What do they reveal about your heart? Let's read our text, starting in verse 33. <clears throat> Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Let us go to God in prayer as we come to this difficult passage. Our Lord and our God, you are the God who speaks. Our Lord, you are the, the originator of speech. And you have spoken to us in your word. And you have spoken to us through your Son. And Lord, you have given us the ability to speak as well as creatures made in your image. And yet, Lord, even just in reading this text, Lord, it, it is something that cuts us deep. Lord, something that brings upon us the weight of our own sin. Lord, have mercy on us as we hear the words of Christ today. Holy Spirit, come and reveal uh, First, Lord, those areas where our words have been ungodly, where they have revealed 
the wickedness of our hearts. And Lord, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would reveal to us what is truly in our hearts as we consider our words and our speech. Lord, pray that as you reveal these things to us through the preaching of the word and by your spirit, that you would bring us to Christ. That you would remind us, Lord, even as we are confronted with our sin, that you have provided a Savior and a Redeemer for us. That we may not despair and lose hope. Lord, that we may not be proud and try to justify our words or, or our hearts, but that in humility we may see that, yes, we no longer need to, 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 to uh, puff ourselves up or try to deny, Lord, where our sin may be at because you have given us a Savior to deal with it. And Lord, please help me as I preach this text. Help me to do so in a way that is clear and helpful, Lord, that the words of my mouth may be honoring to you and uh, beneficial to your church. We pray for your help. In Christ's name, amen. Now, this is a difficult text to preach. Um, and as we'll see, as we go through it, it is a text uh, that pierces all of us with equal weight. How many of us have not felt the sting that our words have had on another person? Right? Even as we read Jesus' words, as I've been preparing for this sermon all week, there's just been this foreboding sense of, oh man, I am a wretched, wretched man. A hard text to preach uh, to others, one that I feel I, I really only should be preaching to myself in some respect. But there are two things Christ teaches us in this text, two main points. First, we reveal our hearts through our words. We reveal our hearts through our words. And second, we are accountable to God for our words. We could boil this whole text down to these two truths. Last week, we saw Jesus confront the Pharisees, and they had accused him of um, operating under Satan's power. Right? They said, he casts out that demon by the power of Beelzebul. And we saw Jesus uh, respond to them by rebuking them and uh, by declaring that these mighty works he was doing were not being done by the power of Satan, but rather by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that since they were being done by the power of the Spirit, this was a sign, this was proof that the kingdom of God had arrived. And they were missing it. Well, our text this morning is a continuation of Jesus' response to the Pharisees. Um, though, again, what Jesus says speaks to realities about words that you and I have to come to grips with. Even though Jesus is continuing to speak to the Pharisees, really the main point and direction of this sermon will be how does this apply to us? Verse 33 begins with Jesus speaking about trees and fruit. This is a, a proverb of sorts. It's a wisdom saying. It's figurative language that illustrates a point. Jesus says either make the tree good and its fruit good or the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. And the word Jesus uses for, for bad here, uh, just as a, a note, is not morally bad. It's not wicked or evil, but it's rotten, unhealthy fruit, right? It's when you go to the apple orchard and you see a, a wormy, soft, mushy, just gross apple, right? Not something you would want to eat. Again, remember, the Pharisees have just accused Jesus of casting out a demon by Satan's power. And on top of what we heard last week, here Jesus challenges the Pharisees to be consistent. 
A tree's fruit reveals its nature and health. Jesus says that a tree is known by its fruit. A good tree produces what kind of fruit? Healthy fruit, good fruit. You'd want to eat that, right? A bad tree, on the other hand, produces bad fruit. Yet the Pharisees attributed a good fruit, casting a demon out of a man, to what they saw as a bad tree, Jesus operating under the power of Satan. This is inconsistent. And Jesus is calling them out on it. He's saying, well, you, you either need to call the action of casting a demon out bad, right? If you're going to call me bad, you have to call that bad too. Or you need to say casting a demon out is good and I am doing a good thing too. And I am a good tree, so to speak. They, they should have seen that Jesus' good work of casting a demon out reveals that Jesus himself is good. And they missed it. The basic principle of this proverb is that a person's true nature is revealed by their actions. Now, obviously, people can hide their true nature for a while, right? Uh, Hypocrisy is a real thing, and we are at times guilty of it. But the basic principle here is that a righteous person will do righteous things, and a wicked person will do wicked things. Which, of course, makes us start asking, what kind of fruit do I produce? What kind of fruit do I produce? Do I produce good fruit or bad fruit? And what does that say about me? Uh, there's many people who think they are a good tree, but the fruit they produce reveals a deep unhealthiness and corruption in them. And to be honest, in ourselves, left to ourselves, we're not a good tree. Just left to go our own way without any help from God, right? Left to our own devices, we will not produce good fruit. This is only possible by God's help. But Jesus, of course, is in a completely different category than you and I. He's fully divine. He is a perfect human. He is the good tree, and all that he does is good. But the Pharisees, of course, have overlooked this, right? And their, their spiritual blindness, they're attributing uh, good fruit to what they see as a bad tree. Jesus continues in verse 34 and rebukes the Pharisees with one of his favorite terms for them, um, a brood of vipers. You're not going to find that on a Hallmark card, right? A brood of vipers. And, and one thing we see about Jesus in Scripture is that he is not afraid to use strong language. He is not afraid to condemn the wicked out loud in harsh terms. And yet he is able to do so with a righteous heart, which is something you and I do not do very well, right? Usually when we use this kind of language, we do so out of the anger of our heart, sinful anger, but not Christ, not Christ. He confronts the Pharisees with a question that further reveals where they're at. How can you speak good when you are evil, right? We've moved from unhealthy fruit on the tree to evil. And this question doesn't mean Jesus is surprised that they speak good. Like, how is it possible you're doing this? It means he's questioning whether such a thing could even happen from them. How could you ever speak good, Pharisees, when you yourselves are evil? It's against your very nature. Because the Pharisees are evil, they cannot speak good. This goes back to the tree proverb in verse 33. Because the Pharisees are bad trees, they will only ever produce bad fruit. And, and sure, at the surface level, they may say good things about the law of Moses at times, or they may say good things about the God of Israel over here, but... Their nature is revealed through what they've just said about Jesus. Their nature is revealed when they go, that man, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, who is perfectly righteous, is operating under the power of Satan. Their true nature comes out then. 
they will only ever produce bad fruit in the sight of God. And, and Jesus goes on further to explain why this is the case. And this is really the heart of this text and the heart of this sermon. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And here is where the net gets wide, of us for, wide enough for all of us. Right? Here is where what Jesus said suddenly falls in our laps. Jesus goes beyond describing just the Pharisees, and now he's describing the human condition. He's describing how you and I work. This is a little mini textbook on being human. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Bible describes the heart uh, not as this you know, little red shape, right? And, and really it goes beyond the physical organ in our body. The heart in the Bible is the control center of the person. It's, it's the inner part of who you are. It's where your thoughts, your desires, your plans, your actions, your words come from the heart. Everything flows out of that. Proverbs 4.23 summarizes this well. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Right? All of who we are comes forth out of our heart. This is very different than, than modern psychology's understanding of man. Okay? Modern psychology attempts to explain what we say and think and do while ignoring the immaterial spiritual aspect of man, the heart, right? Um, psychologists view these proposed causes as, as morally neutral. So, for example, right, some would say our past experiences are the cause of what we do or say, that those things define who we are. Some would say our biology is the cause of what we do or say, right? That defines us. Some would say our, our reinforced behaviors are the cause, the source of what we do or say, and that defines us. Others would see our success or our failure to reach our full potential is the cause of what we do or say. The problem's not us, you see. They would say it's other than us. We're just this little thing shaped by our, our environment, our life, these things that happen to us. And, and while there is a grain of truth in a lot of those things, right, we are embodied beings. We do have bodies that affects us. Our, our experiences in the past affect us. Um, you know, there's lots of those things. It's complex being human, but the Bible is very clear and Jesus is very clear in our text this morning that the ultimate cause of what we do, say, think, desire, and feel lies not in any of those things outside of us, but in the human heart, in your heart. And your heart is not morally neutral. It is bent towards good or it is bent towards evil. And Jesus paints this picture for us in verse 34 of, a, of a, a heart that's so abundantly full, it spills over, it overflows, right? Like you watch a little kid try to pour their, their juice into their cup, right? And they don't know when to stop, and it just pours over the rim of that cup and goes everywhere, right? So in the same way, the heart spills its contents out through our mouths. That's the picture Jesus is painting here. It's so full, it can't contain it and spills out. This includes what we say, of course, our words. And, and for you introverts, you're not off the hook, right? Because we think words as well, don't we? But it also includes how we say it, right? Our heart is behind all of that. It's behind all of that. Over and over in Scripture, we find verses that emphasize this link between the heart and the mouth. 
Uh, Proverbs 14.33, Wisdom rests in the heart of a man of understanding, but it makes itself known even in the midst of fools, right? It makes itself known because it comes out. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips, right? The heart affects the speech. A man of crooked heart does not discover good, and one with a dishonest tongue falls into calamity. There's parallelism there, right? Uh, David in Psalm 39 describes an experience he had. He says, My heart became hot within me as I mused, the fire burned, and I spoke with my tongue. Right? It came out. Ecclesiastes 5.2, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. And Isaiah 32.6, For the fool speaks folly, and his heart is busy with iniquity. We see this constant and direct link between what's in our hearts and what comes out of our mouth in Scripture. They're tied together right? Tied together, a direct pipeline between the two. Now, whenever we talk about the heart, it's common to hear people say that we can't really know the heart of another person, right? Only God knows the heart. And and we we read in 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And, And while it's true that only God can truly see the heart of a person, only God can peer inside of you and me and see down to the bottom of our hearts, It's also true that a person makes their heart known through their words. Jesus just told us that. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Jesus actually speaks further to this in verse 35. He describes two people, one good, one evil. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, he says. The evil person, on the other hand, has evil treasure, and so he brings forth what is evil. Now, this isn't throwing total depravity out the window, right? We know we are all sinners. This is a general picture of how people work, right? It's another sort of figurative statement. Good must be defined in, in God's terms, of course, but consider the essence of what, God, or what Jesus, right, who is God, of course, is saying here. We seek and collect and store up and treasure what we love. Right? We seek and collect and store up and treasure what we love. Uh, when I was uh, very involved in playing music, I had a lot of instruments. Right? I would just see a great deal. Oh, I need that for this sound, right? And I just collect them up. And these days it looks more like books. I love books. So I'm collecting books. And for you, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's holiday decorations. Right? Maybe it's cars. Maybe it's collectibles. What we love, we store up. Well, the person who loves what is good, seeks and stores up and treasures what is good in their heart. The psalmist models this for us in Psalm 119.11 when he says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you, right? I I want to pursue what is good, and so I'm going to store up what is good that I may do what is good. And again, since since this person, right, this good person in the analogy, the illustration, uh, loves what is good, they've stored up what is good, and so Since their treasure is good, what comes out? What is it that they can bring forth? What's their treasure trove filled of? Only good treasure. So that's what they bring out. And on the other hand, the person who loves evil and seeks evil, they uh, store up that, right? They they store up what is uh, bad in their treasure chest. And so when they're bringing out their treasure, what are they going to bring out? What is bad? That's what they've stored up. Again, the proverb is timely. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for out of it flow the springs of life. What we love, right? What we treasure most in our heart 
is what will come out of our mouths. It is what will be revealed in our words. Our words reveal what is in our heart, what we have treasured up there. If you treasure Christ, what are you going to talk about? Christ. And not in this weird forced way, right? Like I'm around Christians, i got to talk about Jesus now, you know. But since you love him, you'll talk about it. Right? Now if you treasure yourself, what are you going to talk about? Yourself, right? And let's be honest, we can be very good at Christianese, and it may sound like we really treasure Jesus because we know how to use pious-sounding language to disguise what's really in our hearts. So we need to actually take Jesus' words and go a step deeper here. It's really, I would say, in the moments of difficulty and conflict that the true nature of our heart is revealed. When things are good, it's easy to speak good words, right? That's not too hard. It is when the pressures of life come upon us and the pressures in the heart build so much that they erupt out of the mouth like a volcano. Have you ever said something in the heat of the moment that you instantly regretted? Have you ever said that? Have you ever done that? Yeah, me too. And what do most people say when this happens? I didn't mean what I said. I didn't mean what I said. I didn't mean it. And yet it's in those most heated moments where our emotions are so stirred up that we cannot help but say what we do in fact really mean. To say I didn't mean it is a lie. We did mean it. We did mean it. The truth is, we couldn't restrain it anymore. Right? And what is in our heart pours out of us. What we really think of that person, right? what we really want, just bursts out of our mouth. Our words, especially in those moments of conflict or upheaval, reveal where our heart is really at. If we talk like great Christians on Sunday, but then we use our words to attack or vent or tear down, those words reveal our actual spiritual maturity or the actual state of our hearts before God. <sighs> right? Ouch. Right? This is the ouch part. And it's not just the words we use. It's how we use those words too. Again, the Proverbs are helpful here. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15.4 says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 12.18, there's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Uh, Proverbs 16.24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs 29.11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Our tone matters too. Uh, when you speak to others in those difficult, revealing moments of conflict and trouble, is your tone calm, peaceable, gentle, gracious, or is it angry, loud, accusatory, harsh? Our tone reveals our heart as well, brothers and sisters. It's not just the vocabulary we use, it's how we say it. We can say the, the same words two completely different ways that reveals two completely different hearts. Our mouth, our words, our tone reveal what's in here. Our mouth reveals the true condition of our heart if we're pursuing a righteous heart or an unrighteous heart. It, it reveals the wisdom of our hearts. Right? Our mouth reveals the wisdom of our hearts. Are we wise or are we foolish? Are we careful? Are we self-controlled? Are we thoughtful with our words as wisdom biblically 
would have us be? Or do we just word vomit and vent, which the Bible defines as foolishness? Our, our mouth reveals the purposes of our hearts, our true desires, our true thoughts, our true motives, our feelings. It all comes out through our mouth. Our words reveal who we really are and where our hearts may really be at. Brothers and sisters, I, I, I don't ask this question in any sort of condemning way. I'm asking it to myself, and I have been all week, but think for a moment about what you say and how you speak. What does this reveal about the condition of your heart? Not, not talking in terms of salvation necessarily, but just the reality of what's in there. What's in there? We cannot underestimate the power and the importance of the words we speak and how we speak them. And since they are so powerful, God is careful to keep us accountable for them. And that's the next point of our text. We are accountable to God for our words, as we see in verses 36 and 37. Um, words are certainly powerful, and their impact is not just for this life, but for the next. And in verse 36, Jesus delivers a sobering truth to the Pharisees, to the crowds, and to us in verse 36. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. And he begins with, I tell you. That's, that's uh, his way of saying, listen to me. This is important. I'm going to tell you something that you must heed. Listen to me. This is serious. And Jesus speaks of this day of judgment, which will come for all people. And on this day, all people will be judged and will give an account for every careless word they speak, according to Jesus. Do you know how many words the average person speaks in a lifetime? 860,341,500, right? Now, now, give or take, right, a couple, you know, 100,000 or, or million, right, depending on uh, if you're, you're chatty Cathy or not, but... Um, but that's nearly one billion words. Nearly one billion words. And out of all of those words, you and I will be accountable for every careless one we have spoken. I don't, I don't know how the scale's going to balance out on that one. I'm not optimistic about it. This word careless doesn't mean we're going to be judged for making an appropriately funny joke, right? Or laughing with our kids, right, or something like that. It's not talking about that. This, this word careless here refers to um, more like thoughtlessness, empty words. We could say, really, just to, just to make it simple, any kind of speech that doesn't glorify God. Any kind of speech that doesn't glorify God, right? And we think of the 860 million plus words. How many of those were words that glorified God? That's sobering to think about, isn't it? Sobering to think about. And some of us are closer to reaching that number than others, but it's nonetheless, it's a sobering thing to think about. Every hypocritical word you and I have spoken, we will give an account to God for. Every careless word we utter, we will give an account to God for. Every callous word we speak against someone, we will give an account to God for. Every crude joke we speak, we will give an account to God for. Every word that uh, is careless in confessing, in confessing Christ, every word that, that essentially takes the Lord's name in vain, we will give an account to God for. 
Every broken promise, we will give an account to God for. Every lie, every half-truth, every misrepresentation, we will give an account to God for. Every word spoken in sinful anger, we will give an account to God for. Every single word we speak will be weighed in the balance and we will be accountable for those words that did not please God. Those words that did not glorify Him. Those words that did not help others that were not profitable. Those words that were empty. All of it, God considers very important. He's given us the ability to speak and we are responsible for stewarding our speech well. And Jesus goes so far in speaking to the Pharisees here that he declares in 37, for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. And in the immediate context, of course, the Pharisees are at risk of eternal condemnation for blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But these words have application for us too. And when we talk about being accountable for every careless word, that applies to both Christians and non-Christians. We're all accountable. Christians will not lose their salvation because of uh, their, their use of empty words, right? Their ungodly speech. But we will lose reward. The sin's been paid for by Christ, so we're forgiven. But nonetheless, we are still accountable. For the non-Christian, though, there is full accountability, but no forgiveness. Consider the sobering reality of this, friends. Hell is a real place, and the road to it is paved with many things, including your words if you are not a Christian. God has given you a mouth to declare his praise and build up others, but you've used it to take his name in vain, to gossip, to slander, to boast, to lie. You've misused what God has given you and you'll be accountable for that. Your words will condemn you. When Christ speaks of how our words can justify us, he doesn't mean the legal sense of justification. Right? He's not talking about being declared righteous and entering into heaven. It's really more the kind of justification that James describes. Justification in the sense of vindication, of, of validation. Right? Here's what that means. If, if, if you profess to be a Christian and your life's use of words has been careless, ungodly, thoughtless, hypocritical, without repentance. Okay, that's, a, that's a big key here. Without repentance or any sanctification whatsoever at all in the area of speech then your testimony of being a Christian, your testimony of faith in Christ has very little ground to stand on. Since our speech reveals the unchanging ungodliness right of your heart. And so that means justification here is in this sense proven to be genuine, proven to be real. But on the other hand, if your life's use of words has trended towards, right, and we're not talking perfection here, but but trended towards seeking to honor him and bless others. If you are grieved in those moments where you do have a sharp tongue or you do speak ill of somebody or you do uh, commit this kind of sin of speech that we're talking about here and you go to God in repentance and you, you seek, e even though you may fail, but you seek to honor him and bless others, then that validates your profession of faith, right? That uh, it works towards justifying it as true. It backs up that profession. And that's what Christ means here. 
These are, these are sobering things we hear from Christ. This is a sobering text. And as I mentioned, it has been heavy on my own heart and my own life this week especially. And there's a degree to which these things from Christ can be very troubling, can't they? If we are honest about our, our words, the ones we say when maybe it's just us and that other person and there's nobody else around where maybe the true contents of our hearts really comes out, we should be troubled to a degree. Right? We should mourn over our sin. We should be grieved and humbled by how we've dishonored the Lord and hurt others by our words. And we shouldn't just look past that because we're Christians. In fact, that's part of godly repentance. We've been challenged by Christ regarding the contents of our heart, the accountability we have for our words. And so um, you may be at the point, and rightly so, where you're asking, what do I do? Right, what do I do? Three simple points of application here that flow out of this text. One, we must deal with our words, right? We need to be honest. We got to deal with our words, right? This is a difficult thing. Uh, James goes so far to say that if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, okay? That doesn't mean this is, uh, <laughs> you know, something we shouldn't even try for, right? The difficulty of bridling our tongue and being watchful over our words is no excuse to neglect it. But by God's help, we must seek to put off our words and our tone that is harsh, foolish, vulgar, ungodly, unkind, unhelpful, unprofitable. And instead, we should pursue speech that is wise, godly, careful, helpful, profitable, kind. As Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. That's no talk that tears down and destroys, right? But only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That's the kind of speech we should pursue. And again, this is difficult. This is difficult. The Bible's very honest about how difficult this is. There's an entire chapter in the book of James about how difficult this is. And for some of you, it's going to be more difficult because you may be uh, in, in, in a decades-long pattern of ungodly speech, right? You may be uh, in a, a very difficult habit of speaking a certain way. For others, maybe you're in a particularly difficult season and uh, you've noticed your speech trending more towards uh, ungodliness. Either way, you need God's help. You need God's help. Uh, David knew this, which is why he writes, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Uh, friends, uh, for some of you, there's no guard at the door of your mouth, right? <laughs> Seek God's help. Grow in a biblical and godly use of your speech. But to deal with our words only is not enough. We need to deal with our hearts, number two. After all, our words just reveal what's in our heart. So while we must deal with our words, we also need to deal with the root and the content of our hearts. And what does this mean? This means we need to seek God's help in knowing our own hearts because our own hearts can deceive us. We're very good at justifying our sin. Well, yeah, I know I spoke that way, but... They had it coming to them. They deserved it, right? I, I, you know, had been boiling that up and it just needed to come out, right? We're really good at justifying our sin. We cannot do that as Christians. We must deal with the heart and we must say, Lord, search me and know me. What's in there? Help me deal with it. When we consider our words, when we consider the heart behind them, we will be confronted by our sinfulness. We will be. You will not like what you see. And you will need God's help to change what you truly treasure and love and fill your hearts with. 
Again, David, uh, you know, I wonder sometimes if David had the same struggle because he sure writes a lot about these things. Psalm 139, he says, Search me, O God, know my heart, try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me. Right? David's not afraid to ask the Lord, pull back the layers. I know it may not be pretty, but see, Lord, reveal if there's any grievous way in me. David's concern was so much to pursue righteousness and to follow the Lord and to be obedient in him down to the level of the heart that he wasn't afraid to pull back the curtain on the murder scene behind it, you know. We need to ask God, reveal my heart. Change me, Lord. Lead me in the right way that my words would be more honoring to you. Because if we're just changing our words and not our hearts, guess what? We're Pharisees. Third, and in some respects, uh, this, is, this is the container that holds the other two points I've given you. Third, we must remember Christ. We must remember Christ. We, we can't ignore our words. We can't ignore our hearts. But what we will undoubtedly find is that we are far more sinful, much worse than we care to admit. And perhaps already this morning, some of you have felt the, the prick of conviction. Some of you this morning have felt troubled over your own failures in this area of speech. And in light of this, we must remember Christ. Our sin must push us to Christ. Christ is our representative. Right? His righteousness has been given to us as a perfect gift of grace. And part of his righteousness includes his heart, which was only ever filled with that which pleased the Father. But part of his righteousness includes his words as well. Think about Christ. His speech was marked with a perfect mix of grace and truth, of love and clarity, of wisdom and honesty. Every word that dropped from the lips of our Savior was the perfect word. It was the perfect word to say. It was perfectly wise. It was perfectly profitable. It was perfectly pleasing to the Father, proceeding from a, a pure and sinless heart. So brothers and sisters, do the hard, God-empowered work of growing in the godliness of your speech and, 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 and your heart but do it while resting on the firm foundation of Jesus' righteousness for you as your own righteousness, even in the area of words. As James says, if anyone bridles his tongue, he's a perfect man. And, and guess what? Christ fits that description. You and I will not. But because Christ fits that description for you, you can deal with your words, you can deal with your heart, and you can do it with hope in the promises of God, and in his righteousness for you. And really, out of that, our, our prayer, our refrain can be that of Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 19, 14, excuse me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray together. Our Lord, How great the weight of our sin. And Lord, even as believers, we struggle with our sin. And Lord, as, as uh, 
those who have been bought by the blood of Christ, our sin uh, is that much more worthy of our grief and our hatred. And Lord Jesus, you went to the cross for our words. You went to the cross for our hearts to die for the sins that we commit, Lord. Lord, how much we need you. Not one of us here has, has escaped your words this morning, Lord Jesus. But if we are honest with ourselves, Lord, we find ourselves um, perhaps stricken by them. And yet, Lord, we thank you that while your, your law reveals our sin, that it also reminds us of you, our Savior. And so, Father, I pray that you would comfort your people this morning. Lord, as we consider our, our, our tongues and our hearts, may we be honest. May we not shy away from the truth of, Lord, how, how we have sinned in these areas, but may it cause us to flee to you, O Lord Jesus, for your heart and your words were perfectly in the service of your God and Father. Lord, help us to be more like you. Help us to grow in this area of speech. May we be able to grow in our ability to look past our speech to our hearts, Lord, to discern what's really in there by your help. But Lord, we, we pray that you would help us to be more like you. Wise, godly, profitable, kind, honest, truthful, loving in every word that you said. Father, I pray if there are those who do not know Christ, who see that the words they speak are no minor things, but Lord, that they are many bricks on the scale, that they may come to, to Christ as well, to find refuge from their sins, Lord, that they may come to him in humility and repentance and believe upon you, Lord Jesus, to receive your gift of righteousness. For Lord, there is no other way that we might be forgiven. Lord, would you help us to see our mouths as instruments to glorify you, to bless others? And Father, help us to be more mindful of how we use our mouths and our words to that end. But Lord, we do pray for the change to start in our hearts, that you would help us to love what is good, that good may come forth from our lips to the glory of your name. And we ask all of this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.